Thank you, choir and musicians. I always look forward to getting to listen to the music here and be so blessed by it. It was good to be with you again this morning. My wife, Janet, and I greet you and bring greetings from the Sister Bethany United Methodist Church Congregation in Liberty Township. So it's good to be here. Please pardon my departure a little earlier. The pastor is asking me to preside over Bethany's church conference, which takes place directly after their second worship service. The year was 2017. My cell phone beeped. It was from my son in Georgia outside a doctor's office. And here was the difficult news that he texted. Just got done with the doctor. Miscarriage confirmed. We are heartbroken, but hanging in there. Heaven just gained a little battle. The grandchild that we had so hoped to receive and cuddle and treasure was gone. And I must admit, it hit pretty hard. Then two more miscarriages followed in the time that was yet to come. From their broken hearts, our son Phil composed a beautiful little song that I treasure and had a singing group from within his church of several thousand sing that before a special evening of thanks and praise and intercession to God. Here are some of the words from his song. In this broken place, within my darkest days, as my fears arise. Lord, I call out your name. When my spirit's crushed and my heart is torn, you rebuke the wind and lead me to the shore. And then the chorus, on this day I find strength as I call out your name. I find a hope through you, Lord, as I sing out your praise. I turn my eyes to you, Jesus. I turn my eyes to you, Jesus. And then I love the next few words. For every tear that falls, let it water my faith to trust you, Lord, and what you say. For every tear that falls, let it water my faith. God needs to water our faith, doesn't he, with the struggles that we face. Because sometimes the challenges that you and I endure are heartbreaking. Some of the storms that blow in against us just make us feel overwhelmed. In our scripture, Paul showed the positive power over life storms that absolutely amazes me. His message and my sermon are about a life of thanks living, not just a single soul solitary holiday called Thanksgiving, but a life meant to be lived thankfully, to be lived in a way that shows thanks living. Paul shared three keys to thanks living, but before I share them, I want to give you a little update on our son and our daughter and their family. They're now blessed with two children, a wonderful son that they had prior to the miscarriages, and then an amazing, amazing little girl, a daughter after the miscarriages, and Janet and I give thanks together to God for those precious two greatest grandchildren on earth. <laughs> you grandparents understand me. <laughs> Paul demonstrated the thanks living through the toughest of times. When Paul had served as a missionary several years before in the Philippian church, he encountered powerhouse enemies who had him arrested, who had him stripped, beaten with rods, 
and flung into jail. When Paul wrote Philippians some years later, he was again, he was under arrest, but this time facing execution in Rome. By now, the Philippian church was still a relatively infant church, but it was serving there in a very pagan city that was overrun with pagan religions. There were 80 images of the pagan goddess Diana that were carved into the rocks around the city, and another pagan temple dedicated to 140 Egyptian deities. Christians were in a minority there. There were very few Jews in the the territory, but for the Christians that were there, storms of persecution tried to destroy them. In the midst of that encounter, Paul from his prison cell wrote to the Philippians with their oppression, and he tried to turn their hearts toward positive praise rather than negative surrender to the despair and defeat that would have been so easy. And in the first key, he urged them, rejoice in the Lord. Six different times in this very brief book of Philippians, he counsels them to rejoice. Chapter 1, verse 18, he testifies first before challenging them and says, I will continue to rejoice, not just in a moment, I'll continue to do so. And then he instructs them in chapter 2, verse 18, be glad and rejoice with me. In chapter 3, verse 1, he again instructs them, rejoice in the Lord. He returns to testimony in chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. And then in the text that opened the scripture verse from Philippians, read this morning, chapter 4, verse 4, two times he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. (laughs) Have we gotten that message yet? (laughs) We've heard it, but have we gotten it in our hearts? That's where we need to really absorb it, isn't it? I remember a Thanksgiving meal back in 2008 that for us in the family was a precious time to kind of retreat a little bit from our church obligations and focus in on our own inward family circle. Our young adult children, Faith and Phil, were there with us, and Janet's elderly, almost 98-year-old mother also was with us. And we decided that day to share around the Thanksgiving table some of the special things for which God had made us grateful and able to rejoice. Our daughter, Faith, she opened with a true confession that as a teenager, she had not totally appreciated the boundaries that we had put around her life. But then after graduating from college and entering the vocation of a social worker around Lexington, Kentucky, she had served so many troubled families and single mothers in crisis that shared with her a background of torment from their homes. She began to see Janet and me in a very different light. She said in her thanksgiving, I'm so thankful for growing up in a stable family that loves the Lord and loved their children. Janice's mother, like I said, was almost 28, still very vibrant in mind. And she joked, I'm thankful to be on the earth rather than under the earth. (laughs) She had a good spirit about her. Three times in Philippians 1, Paul confessed, I am in chains. He was under arrest. He was confined. But despite the bars behind which he was, God set his spirit free and he was still rejoicing. And I'm amazed by that. What a remarkable 
attitude. He told the Philippians again in the keynote verse with which we kicked off, chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. His internal joy was such a vibrant part of his inside faith, and it did not need to be hyper-stimulated by external pleasures in order to make him feel good about his life. Dr. Charles Garfield discovered a similar kind of a soul as he told about a highway toll booth worker in the city of San Francisco. Now, I must admit, working in the toll booth sounds like a very monotonous career to me. You stick your hand out, you take some money. You stick your hand out again and give some change. You press a button for a green light so that they can go, and you do that over and over and over again for all of the hours of the day and all of the days of the week. That morning, Charles had driven toward a toll booth. And as he approached it, he heard loud music coming from someplace. He glanced around at the cars next to him to see if anybody had a window that was opening. You know, that big booming sound that you hear from sometime some folk that are wanting to display all of the megawatts of power they have in their speakers. But it was not coming from any car. He looked ahead, and, and as he discerned the source of the sound, he saw that it was coming from inside the toll booth. More than that, As he looked ahead, he saw that the man inside that toll booth was dancing away. And pardon my cheap imitation of it. I'm not a dancer. Charles pulled up and he asked, what are you doing? And the man inside the toll booth said, I'm having a party. And the toll worker, he pointed to the nearby booth and he asked there the guest, he said, what are, you, or what, what are all these things here that you're looking at? What do they look like? And Charles replied, they look like toll booths. What do they look like to you? And the toll booth worker retorted back. He said, they are vertical coffins. And since there were no cars behind the man in the waiting, he continued the story. He said, at 8.30, 8.30 every morning, live people get in those toll booths and they die there for eight hours. For eight hours, they put their brain on hold, they're dead on the job, and they're going through the emotions. And then they resuscitate by the time they get ready to go home. They reemerge and they travel home. Dr. Garfield confessed. He said, I was amazed. And he thought about 16 toll workers who were dead on the job, but the 17th in the very same situation had figured out a way to live joyfully. Well, then Garfield asked the toll worker one more question. Why is it different for you? You're you're having such a good time. And the toll worker said, I knew you were going to ask that. I frankly don't understand why anybody would think that my job is boring. I have a corner office, you see. There's glass on every side of me. I can see the Golden Gate Bridge. I can look over and see San Francisco. I can look around and see the Berkeley Hills. Half of the Western world vacations here, and I just stroll in every day, and I practice my dancing. (laughs) What a spirit. What a heart. I almost titled the message, Dancing with Thanksgiving, (laughs) but I didn't think I'd be a very good model of doing the former. (laughs) Paul urges us, rejoice in the Lord. And then a second key that he offers is this, 
Do not be anxious. Here are his words in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. True confession. I'm not there yet. So I invite you to very quietly listen in while I take a few moments in this section to preach to Bill Beldel. I've got to confess, I'm a detailed, task-oriented person like Martha in Luke's Gospel. If any of you have been an energetic, perfectionistic host for a group of people gathered in your household, and you ever read the story of Martha hosting Jesus and his disciples and feeling obsessed with being prepared for them, you would understand as she spoke to Jesus, can't you get my sister Mary to come help me? Where Jesus said, Mary's doing the best thing as she sits and listens to me. And then Jesus counseled Martha, Luke 10, 41. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Does that sound like you? Anxious and troubled about many things? I tell you as I read the news each morning coming from Ukraine and read the Facebook stories coming from a lady with a child at Asbury College and her first grandchild born in Kiev in the midst of the oppression, oppressive attack from the enemy. It, it just grabs my heart and I feel identified with the folk who are there and feel oppressed by that. And with all the disorder going on in our nation, I think we together share a time when probably all of us fit into that anxious and troubled mindset. So I admire the positive anxious-free security that Paul demonstrated. It's a challenge to me. After all, <coughs> he was imprisoned. He faced execution, but he still showed highly confident trust. He wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, Through your prayers, I eagerly expect that I will not be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that Christ will be exalted in my body. Get this whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He gave his hands into the hand of Christ, and whatever direction his future took, Paul felt a confident security. He found a faith that was greater than the fear of death. I point us toward Herman Lang, he was a Catholic priest facing execution by the guillotine from the German Nazis during World War II. And before his death, he wrote this confession from his prison cell. He said, personally, I am perfectly calm, facing steadfastly what is to come. When one has really achieved complete surrender to the will of God, there's a marvelous feeling of perfect peace and absolute security. I'm astounded by that. And I'm not quite there yet. And if you join me in that imperfection, we've got a lot to learn from people like Paul and Herman Lang. Paul counsels us in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. A Dr. George McCoslin was bearing the weight of the world upon his shoulders. He was considered, apparently at the time, one of the greatest of the directors of his local YMCA. But as YMCA near Pittsburgh at that time was losing membership, 
challenged by financial difficulties, and he was having difficult internal staff problems. He was working about 85 hours a week. He had very little sleep and very little time off. And when he was off, he worried and fretted about YMCA problems. I'm confident that within this parish, there are some of you either in past times or in present times have had the kind of positions in the businesses that you help to support, operate, or own that you know that feeling that he was experiencing. He ended up near a nervous breakdown, and he knew that he had to learn to let go and let God take care of his problems. And so George took off from work one day and took an afternoon walk in the western Pennsylvania woods. And as he strolled through God's nature and saw its beauty, he could just begin to feel some of the tension beginning to slip away from his neck and body that had so tormented him. He sat down under a gorgeous tree, and for the first time in many months, he began to relax. He took out a pen, and he took out a pad of paper, and he began to write down the burdens that he wanted to give to God and to let go. Now to be sure, be sure to get to this. In his letter, as he wrote it to God, he concluded with these words. Dear God, today I hereby resign as general manager of the universe. Love, George. <laughs> and then as he told the story with a typical twinkle in his eye, he said, Wonder of wonders, God accepted my resignation. <laughs> Anyone here need to resign from serving as an over-anxious manager of God's universe? Perhaps the Thanksgiving lifestyle means trusting God with the details of our life. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul says. So Paul has urged us, rejoice in the Lord. Paul has urged us, do not be anxious. And thirdly, Paul urges us, pray with thanksgiving. In 4.6, in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I believe that outwardly, though Paul's body was confined within a prison, somehow or another, God's grace and the spirit of thanksgiving turned his prison into a pulpit. And from that pulpit, through the means of the writing of the book of Philippians, Paul has been preaching to generations of Christians through the centuries, and now this morning, preaching here to us. A man by the name of Robert E. Bruce was walking along a busy street. His ears were wide open, and he said he heard something, something different in the midst of the city street sounds. It was the sound of a good voice singing above the noise of the nearby traffic. And he looked around, and soon he spotted the source. It was a man. He was seated. He was in a wheelchair. He had no legs. But boy, did he have a voice. And he was moving and rolling through the crowd in that wheelchair. The observer caught up with him, and he spoke to him, and he said, I want you to know, friend, when a person in your condition sings like this, it gives everybody around him a lift. And the man in the wheelchair looked back up at him with a smile, and he said, 
When I stopped looking at what I had lost and began concentrating on everything I had left, I found much for which I could rejoice and be happy. Oh, what a beautiful lesson in life. Robert Bruce then applied that lesson to his life, and he confessed this. I'm not sure we can all achieve his level of resolve and and peace. He said, I am thankful for taxes I pay. (laughs) That's a big, big challenge there, isn't it? I am thankful for taxes I pay because it means I am employed. I'm thankful for clothing that fits too snugly because it means I have enough to eat. I am thankful for a lawn that needs to be mowed, for gutters that needs to be, need to be fixed, for windows that need to be washed, because it means I have a home to live in. I am thankful for my heating bill because it means that I am warm. I'm even thankful for complaining I hear about our government because it means that we have the privilege of free speech. I am thankful for the lady behind me in church who sings off key because it means I can hear. I'm glancing to see if anybody's looking at a neighbor. (laughs) I am thankful for piles of laundry because it means I have clothing. I am thankful for the alarm that goes off in early morning hours because it means I wake up alive. In May of 2020, the Cleveland Heart Lab shared a special study from the University of California, and it had to do with the effect of gratitude on heart health. They had studied 185 patients who were afflicted with asymptomatic heart failure, where there was heart failure as an underlying condition, but the outward evidences of it did not immediately show themselves as visible or felt symptoms. And the researchers found that patients in the group who were most grateful slept better, were less depressed, less fatigued, and more self-confident, and fifthly, that they also had less chronic inflammation damaging the inner linings of blood vessels in the walls of the heart. So living thankfully has physical blessings. It encourages physical health. Thanksgiving encourages spiritual health. And Thanksgiving encourages relational health with a spouse, if we have one that blesses us. It encourages relational benefits with our children, with our parents, with our grandparents, with our grandchildren, with our siblings, with our co-workers. Everyone I know appreciates being appreciated. A pastor, Jack Hinton, had served not only as a pastor, but had been out on some mission trips. And he one time had the privilege of leading worship for a leper colony on Tobago Island, which I believe is off of Venezuela. He saw in that particular leper colony one special, special woman who, when she turned around to face him, left him feeling internally shocked by the extreme disfigurement she had to live with. Her nose and her ears were deteriorated away. In the midst of the service, as they got toward the end of it, she lifted a hand, but there were no fingers displayed on the little stubs at the end of her hand. And she asked if she could name the next hymn that they would sing in that group of worshipers. What did that disfigured woman wish to sing? She called out, Can we sing, 
Count your many blessings. Sing them one by one. Oh, and then we see what the Lord hath done. What an attitude. Isn't there so much for us to learn and receive as we rejoice, as we give thanks? Thankful people put our complaining spirits to shame. Our daughter of faith had had the privilege of going on some mission trips. She's traveled far more widely than Janet and I have. She's been to Uganda and experienced great blessings there of serving briefly. She had gone as a student to a missions trip to Mexico to witness to and be around a special group of families that were clustered at the edge of a Mexican pile of refuse at a city dump. And what was going on there was that those families made their living by trying to retrieve scrap product from that dump site that they could salvage and then sell to get a little bit of income. Faith saw something that intrigued her, and she shared it with us. She said she saw more playful, joyful excitement in the children that were playing around that territory than she would see in American children who were living in luxury. We have so much stuff with little gratitude, and they had such little stuff, but had such a rich and thankful joy. I don't mean to say that I would commend the lifestyle they have to live for any child. That's tough. But something or another in their spirits could still teach us a lesson. God help us. God help us to adopt a lifestyle of thanks living, living thankfully every day, not just celebrating a holiday for ourselves, but living thankfully in relationship to God, in relationship to others, thankfully in relationship to what God does for us every day and displaying a heartfelt, thankful lifestyle around us. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul, for sharing how we need to rejoice in the Lord, not be anxious, and pray with thanksgiving. Will you stand together, if able, and join in singing?